don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Alright guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. Uh, we got another episode all about Liquid, uh, as per promised from yesterday's episode. If you have not listened to, uh, what are we on now? I think it was 166 yesterday, um, so today's would be 167. If you have not listened to the announcing of Liquid and um, kind of more, more discussion about it, uh, I would urge you to go back and listen to that episode because we are going to be jumping right into Blockstream's post on Strong Federations. And then I've got a lot of snippets. I read the entire Strong Federations white paper um, a little bit last night. Most of the last night was taken up by uh, an unfortunate spill of red wine, which took about three hours to uh, fix. And uh, luckily I did get it out of a light gray very nice couch and our very nice living room rug all of which was massively washed in dark red wine so it was a rough night last night I was I was busy for quite some time but anyway um got up and I've uh, finished through the white paper uh today and grabbed a bunch of snippets to kind of talk about the security issues and backups and all the kind of elements of the uh, system. But the Blockstream um, blog post does actually a pretty good job of hitting all the points anyway, but I've just got some things to add to the discussion. All right, so without further ado, uh, this one uh, is was also published way back in January, so this was around, I think it was actually the exact same time that the Strong Federation's white paper was released, uh, so January of 2017. And this one is written by John Dilley, Jonathan Wilkins, and Marta Pakarski. So without further ado, let's jump into Blockstream's published paper titled Strong Federations, Foundation of Liquid White Paper Released. Addressing Challenges in Multi-Party Smart Contracts Two years ago, we set out to improve existing financial infrastructure using the innovations we announced in Enabling Blockchain Innovations with Pegged Sidechains. In that paper, we presented the foundations for interoperable blockchains that, like Bitcoin, avoid reliance on third-party trust and could entirely eliminate single points of failure in modern financial systems. As we begin this new year, our team has grown and progress continues on all fronts. Partners are integrating Liquid, we're building on the success of the recent first Lightning transaction, and we are looking forward to making further Elements project announcements. With today's publication of Strong Federations, an interoperable blockchain solution to centralized third-party risks, we share the improvements we have made to the Federated PEG that was briefly discussed in the original sidechain paper. Strong federations facilitate movement of any asset among disparate markets without requiring centralized trust. They provide commercial privacy with support for transactions where asset types and amounts are opaque 
while preserving the public verifiability inherent to Bitcoin. Our work on formalizing the definition of a strong federation and then implementing it has involved our internal technical team, external auditors, and the broader community, from our academic peers to groups of customers looking to improve their businesses. We're excited about moving to the production phase of implementation and we'll share much more in the coming months. What are strong federations? A strong federation is a group that serves as a mutually incentivized protocol adapter between an anchor chain and one of its side chains and acts as a unit to ensure forward progress of the side chain. Using cryptographic tools and secure hardware, the participants construct a Byzantine robust smart contract wherein each, quote, functionary is economically incentivized to operate in the best interest of the network by the mutually agreed upon rules. While leveraging proof of work provides Bitcoin with unprecedented security for transaction history, this benefit comes at a cost in latency and throughput. Strong federations address the delay by introducing a deterministic set of participants, each with two responsibilities, generating valid blocks and enforcing withdrawal rules. Transactions are published in blocks that must be made visible to all participants in the network and validated. Pre-commitments are made and then blocks are signed. This coordination is measured in seconds as opposed to minutes for Bitcoin. As in Bitcoin, the knowledge of a private key is sufficient for the, quote, right to spend without the permission of any third party. Liquid. Liquid is the first implementation of a strong federation. We've already talked about Liquid in previous communications, but in our Strong Federations paper, we go into detail and include some of the ancillary systems required to operate such a system in production. This new construction establishes a security profile inherently superior to existing methods of rapid transfer and settlement among exchanges and brokerages, and is directly applicable to other problems within existing financial institutions. Our efforts focus on developing systems that protect individual liberty through cryptographic mechanisms, as the right to privacy is one of the essential components to a free society. Liquid and strong federations attempt to improve upon the privacy guarantees offered by Bitcoin, whose open-by-default model often results in users inadvertently leaking personally identifying information. Strong federations also offer the opportunity to take advantage of many exciting improvements from the sidechain ecosystem. For example, Gregory Maxwell's work on confidential values has been extended in a number of interesting ways. Networks utilizing confidential transactions can make guarantees about the privacy of their transactions where certain information about individual transactions is visible only to the parties participating in a given trade. Future work will leverage layered systems of messaging and routing for further privacy gains. Security Strong federations introduce a simple trust model. So long as a quorum of participants act honestly, the system continues to make forward progress. 
We optimize for production readiness by focusing on simplicity, security, and robustness as the important characteristics, as opposed to other offerings missing clear security characteristics or even lacking any commitment to immutability or fundamental attributes like the total money supply or consensus algorithms. Strong federations have mechanisms that allow settlement back to a parent chain in the case of a complete failure of the federation. Code updates are open and auditable and require participant approval. The state of the system provides a consistent, reliable log that maintains immutability of transaction history. And most importantly, the members of the federation cannot directly control any user's money inside the system other than their own. In addition to extensive internal review and third-party penetration testing, we want to make sure our designs are validated by the academic world and computer scientists across the globe. Please feel free to judge and analyze our work. We believe that extensive review of systems is needed to ensure security and are excited to collect feedback in order to continue making progress towards a more decentralized and secure future. Interoperability Bitcoin's source code is extended by adding instructions and enhancing the existing APIs in Liquid. Utilities such as blockchain explorers and wallet software are easily modified to support the majority of new features. This also lets us take advantage of the security delivered by many years of security review and constant attack that Bitcoin has been through. We believe that success is dependent on the portability of information and avoiding the siloed systems that often emerge from enterprise endeavors. Here's to the interoperable future of finance. All right, and that will do it. That, uh, that was the post um, uh, made with the release of the Strong Federation's white paper um, about foundation of liquid and kind of hits the main bullet points uh of the system in general again it was by it was on the blockstream.com blog and it was written by john dilly jonathan wilkins and marta pekarski uh so um i went into the whole white paper because i was really curious the one thing that does is a little bit uh saddening uh when i actually dug into the white paper is the backup withdrawal the the in case of the entire system fails uh uh there is still a contingency plan essentially is not detailed it's just basically it explains in the um thing that one can be set up but there is no it doesn't seem like there is any standard system in place it's just that that's possible because the uh, uh, system works on a essentially a multi-signature agreement of the watchtowers for moving Bitcoin from the main chain onto the side chain and back. So uh, just like any insurance policy can be set up, like something in Lightning, you have the insurance policy between those multi-signature agreements. A fail-safe can be implemented, but there's no details of a specific fail-safe put in place. Uh, or at least there isn't in this white paper, and obviously this thing is two years old now almost. Um, and uh, so I don't have any specific details about what the current Liquid Network is doing on that front. But that's really that's something that will be really interesting to dig into. I want to see uh, what they come up with on the 
contingency plans for complete failure uh, to, to see what happens there. If uh, something, uh, if a majority of network participants or functionaries cause a problem, how, what's the, what's plan B essentially? Even though I think that's highly unlikely, I think that should always be accounted for. I mean, and it seems that is the whole purpose of this white paper they talk about. Um, a lot of the choices they make are explicitly because uh, so that the, the process in the case of an attacker is very simple and easily understood. So the first point I wanted to hit is just um, kind of the basic architecture of it. Um, because it's a multi-signature scheme to create a new chain of transactions that's pegged to the main chain, the basic principle of what's going on with the two-way peg is that um, users would send their Bitcoin to a multi-signature address um, with and create a proof in doing so, and it would then be that proof would be used to unlock a equal amount of Bitcoin on the side chain LBTC or liquid BTC, uh, so that it can be used uh, between these exchanges. And uh, one thing to note that when these, um, uh, they said it in this, but I think it's still not, I think a lot of people misunderstand this, is that when you send your Bitcoin to a liquid, or, or uh, when you redeem Bitcoin onto the liquid sidechain, you are immediately accessing every exchange's use of liquid, like, your wallet is connected to all of them, even though you may be communicating directly with one exchange. They aren't holding your coins. It's not a custodial relationship. Instead of them holding your coins, essentially the entire group of functionaries are jointly responsible with a majority signature over what happens with your coins. So if, let's say it's Mt. Gox, Bitfinex, and Bitstamp, and it's just a two of three multi-sig, if Mt. Gox goes down it doesn't lock your coins. Bitstamp and Bitfinex can still make signatures so that coins can move um, around within uh, Liquid, and they uh, any watchtowers, whoever they are, or uh, watchmen, I think it's referred to as actually, uh, uh, whoever they are can always and still sign transactions back to the blockchain. And I'm sure in such a situation, there'd be a mass withdrawal. Everybody freak out and basically do a bank run on the liquid network until everything got sorted out. If uh, we're talking about a scenario like that. Um, so because of this, there's a number of advantages aside from the whole, you know, Mount Gox implosion disaster. Uh, but the set of signers is not, in Bitcoin is dynamic, so you just have to wait for somebody to sign. It's probabilistic. They have to prove their signature. They have to uh, combine their signature with a proof of a hash. Um, and because of that, it's completely open and you can trust the hash and you don't have to care who the participants are. But it causes problems with reorgs. Um, you, you might have your transaction included in a block and then have that reorged to part of the network that received a different block. Because it's open and dynamic, um, you have to wait three or four confirmations. After three or four confirmations, there's almost a, uh, a guarantee, a mathematical guarantee that that's not going to be reversed, but there is a, a general chance, a probabilistic chance that one, two um, blocks deep, you may have a reorganization and lose your confirmations. Um, it's rare, but it 
clearly does happen. It happens all the time, actually. So with a set of uh, deterministic keys, a, a dedicated set of signers, um, the quote-unquote block time is essentially limited entirely to um, uh, just the ability to get signatures from all the functionaries. Um, so there is, I think Liquid has a set two-minute time, um, but that's just to make sure that there's enough time to get um, blocks to all participants and get all the signatures on it needed to continue to move forward and then start on the next one. And uh, it also comes with not having to worry about reorganizations because a uh, a block with an equal, a block height of a block that's already in the sidechain can immediately be assumed as an attacker's block. Um, it, it, it can just be immediately discounted as invalid because all the signers, you're, there is no going back. There should be no going back in the liquid sidechain. So by default, if any block is produced with the exact same block height, you would immediately just reject it and continue moving forward and waiting for the signers. So everybody would, all the participants would immediately know we have an attacker in our midst and we would have to, the liquid network would have to respond to the situation. Um, but if it's a you know one signer, it's not really an issue. It just everything kind of keeps going as um, as expected, and the other participants have to figure out what they need to do about the compromised keys or block signer, whatever it is. So the points they made um, kind of briefly in the article, uh, but are really important to Liquid, uh, is publicly verifiable. Um, so if you received a transaction, you can easily go to a Liquid Block Explorer and verify that it's there, and you can know the asset type, the amounts, and all the details of the uh, transaction. Uh, and even though it's not on the Block Explorer, the hash of that information is, or however it is that confidential transactions work, the proof of that information is there so that you take the information that you know, the quantity, the assets, so on and so forth, and compare it to the proof placed in the transaction, and you can still verify everything and know that all the sign, all the signers have agreed that you have received these um. Uh, this transaction and in that case it is essentially backed by the full set of functionaries uh, that are participating in this network with uh, the watchman keys and the multi-signature address where the coins are originally sent to for the peg um, users can move their assets into and out of the system providing a proof of the transaction inside the sidechain and back out so um, uh, uh, money can easily move into and out of the system. Uh, there's no single point of failure anymore. Like I said, in the Mt. Gox scenario, um, you don't have to worry about one of these institutions being compromised or going under and immediately losing all of the money. The only money is at risk. Let's say it's in the Mt. Gox scenario. You don't actually deposit your money with Mt. Gox. You deposit it on liquid. So uh, if Mt. Gox get, gets hacked, they are. They might lose their coins specifically that all the users have paid them in fees or whatever it is, but you will not lose coins that are merely deposited into the Liquid Network, even if you did it for Mount using Mount Gox service. Um, 
Then the multiple asset type transfer, you can create assets on top of liquid and uh, we'll go into that a little bit later just because there's more details on that, but you can basically create shit coins on liquid if you want. You can make gold backed assets, securities, um, rewards points. I don't know why that's probably seems like a little bit too much. Reward points seems like more of a uh, lightning network asset for really, really low cost transactions. Uh, might be a little bit overkill to put something like that on the liquid network. Yeah, who knows? Um, we'll see a lot of this stuff come up and see what people do with these uh, digital assets when we have these systems like this that are robust. It'll be really, really cool. I, I, I'm really excited to see a security that can uh, be redeemed maybe from a group of exchanges that have some degree of trust between each other or... There are just so many scenarios um, with financial assets where uh, I don't think people realize exactly how unbelievably inefficient the current system is, um, and they actually have a point made um, and a uh, source uh, in the uh, white paper that I'll get into in just a minute talking about what a nightmare it is to figure out and redeem assets from a lot of this stuff. Uh, in the legacy financial system and comparing it to liquid. So it's absolutely crazy how much uh, how much inefficiency and just massive cost uh, this kind of thing could solve. And we got uh, added privacy uh, because confidential transactions are the default. And even though it is not there yet, confidential assets are uh, in the works. Um, so... Uh, you will be able to trade assets without people knowing exactly which asset you are trading and amounts and uh, uh, players involved in the transactions are also obscured except to the parties directly involved. Um, so, and this, and again, these are practically instant transactions uh, and they are atomic exchanges. All right, so what's the next thing to get into here? I actually already covered all three of those. Oh, um, uh, one thing that they pointed out is that these functionaries, the the federated sidechain, because they have a deterministic set of signers, um, uh, it, it's kind of like a, uh, I think of it like a proof of stake, except instead of staking actual coins, they are staking their business. Um, and of course, any coins really that they have on the sidechain. Uh, in a sense, um, but of course they're not getting inflation from it. They are just staking it to show their uh, financial incentive to be honest players in the system. But because the degree of trust is still there with the functionaries, the critical operations are split. Um, there are the jobs of the block signers and watchmen are not the same jobs. So the people with the power to... Uh, uh, reorg, possibly reorg the chain and the people with the power to redeem coins from the network are not the same. Uh, and that's obviously deliberate to dividing these responsibilities. So the block signers are the ones who sign transactions on the side chain and define the consensus history. Uh, and the watchmen are the ones who move the assets out or onto the side chain by signing transactions on the main chain. So the watchmen are the ones uh, doing all the signing on the Bitcoin side. 
so the goal of the design is clearly to have a geographically and uh, jurisdictionally uh, diverse set of uh, functionaries. Uh, the more it's spread out against uh, across different continents and uh, jurisdictions, so on and so forth, then the more secure and the uh, uh, fewer vulnerabilities the system has. So essentially to fully, to actually successfully tamper with the sidechain um, or attack uh, the, uh, the federated peg system that they have used, you have to have a majority of all the functionaries, both block signers and watchmen, in order to, you have to do a joint cross-continent, cross-jurisdiction exit scam, essentially. Uh, so, <laughs> far more secure than the legacy system that we're currently dealing with, and even more so than the current custodial relationship we have with all these exchanges, where, uh, as the SEC, you know, uh, one broker is the most recent example that I mentioned in yesterday's episode, is that they get shut down and all the users who used Bitcoin up there or any cryptocurrency up there are immediately locked out. They just have no funds um, because the custodial relationship is just crap. And in that situation, it really would not, a one signer down would not affect the um, uh, working of liquid. And there could be a, uh, the block signers and watchmen could work out whether or not they wanted to eliminate the signer or uh, discuss with the institution to see whether or not they were going to come back online in a week or two, so you know, so on and so forth. They work out the details, um, whether or not they want to kick them out of the Federation or uh, continue forward and just wait for them to solve whatever problem or jurisdictional issue they are having. Another good thing about this, though, is that if the uh, because the block signers and watchmen are explicitly separated, um, even if a majority of block signers are compromised, uh, it would be immediately observable with a whatever block that doesn't conform to the consensus rules um, or whatever is published. And there are nodes. Um, in fact, I think because it's an open system, anyone can pretty much run a node. So anybody, um, even though they don't have signing authority, they can still identify, they can still watch uh, the chain and identify non-conforming blocks and enforce the consensus rules and uh, as long as a majority of the watchmen uh, again not the block signers uh, remain uh, honest or secure uh, everyone can still withdraw from the liquid side chain the next section goes into just kind of the math of what the threshold is for byzantine fault tolerance um and uh, it's pretty basic based on the multi-signatures, so I don't really feel the need to go into it. It's kind of obvious, and we've already really talked about it. Um, but one thing about the uh, kind of the how the um, God like the what the what the role of the exchanges are. And that might be a good way to explain this. Is so you're like. Uh, if, if we're making trades with anyone in this liquid network, what do exchanges do? Exchanges are still the market makers, essentially. They're still the order books for the out-of-band prices, like what's the dollar price of Bitcoin within this liquid network? 
Um, so because they're the on ramps and off ramps for dollars or gold or uh, yen or whatever the you know the exchange uh, uh, operates in, other than the cryptocurrency, they become the price finder essentially to meet the buyer and the seller. But what's interesting is because Liquid is a full network, you can actually trade with people not on your exchange while still using your exchange. So they can reach out of band agreement with somebody on a different exchange. So like, let's say the example is Alice and Bob, obviously always, um, Alice is trying to send money to Bob and using her exchange while Bob is using a completely different exchange. Those exchanges can talk to each other immediately and we can move assets directly from Bob to Alice based on whatever the mutual agreement, whatever price we determine um, uh, with exchange rate, execution time, you know, whether it's an option or future, you know, all that good stuff um, and just use the exchanges essentially to communicate that data and reach agreement on that data. Um, and then obviously assets are transferred. Uh, but in that situation, the exchanges never actually own the capital. It's just from Alice to Bob. And as long as a majority of the participants or block signers um, sign the agreement, like it's a valid transaction, uh, then uh, the money gets moved from one to the other and it's done. It's immediately settled, essentially. So it changes the market-making dynamic basically it uh like all the exchanges end up operating because of how quick settlement can happen across exchanges and it can happen within single transactions like uh from bounce from one order book to the other to a person on a completely different exchange the entire federation will basically behave like a unified market there will be minor delays when you're crossing exchanges but for the most part, and particularly after something like Lightning gets implemented, uh, it's going to behave like one incredibly fast unified marketplace across jurisdictions with multiple on-ramps and off-ramps for whatever currency any individual exchange is using. So the level, of, the level and speed of remittance and arbitrage here is, that is possible is really extraordinary. Um, so it, it crazy, crazy lowers capital constraints um, relative to dealing with crossing jurisdictions and dealing with any single points of failure within the system, whether it be geographic or um, you know jurisdictional, like law enforcement, so on and so forth. So here's a section uh, that I wanted to read just kind of blew my mind. I did not realize exactly how crappy and slow the dealing with the assets and the legacy system can be at times. Um, and this was just a little excerpt. Um, I don't have the page number and I'm not going to go through and find it, but it was a cool little excerpt about liquidity and how this works in the legacy system. Quote, as an example, liquidity provisioning is the primary business model of prime brokerages and investment banks. Fund managers commit their funds to a single location's custodianship under the premise 
of reducing costs associated with investment management and improving access to both investment opportunities and liquidity. Third-party broker-dealers then grant each participant access to the, the liquidity of their respective counterparties, a function of aggregation of capital under a single trusted third-party custodian. The system offers investors a means of preferential access to liquidity by enabling customers to buy, sell, and hedge trades with their respective counterparties in a single location. Decentralized systems provide convenience to market participants but are not without risks. One realized example of these risks is that of the euro system following the global financial crisis. In the wake of the financial default of Lehman Brothers, the effort of the euro system to liquidate assets collateralized by 33 complex securities took more than four years and resulted in over 1 billion euro in losses. End quote. If there is anything that could use an efficiency upgrade, it's something that convoluted and nonsensical. Um, I mean, honestly, in the legacy system, I don't have any alternative. You know, like, how else would you do it? But you're using a centralized custodian, and then broker-dealers have their own customers, and then they are given access to the centralized custodian and certain preferential uh treatment for how much liquidity and what assets they can access um and so it all ends up going back everybody's updating their ledgers independently and slowly bouncing back up the tree to the final custodian um and it's highly highly centralized um specifically to make things much faster but the level of connected risk that all of these different institutions have causes headaches of dealing with who the heck owns what with just with 33 securities taking more than four years to work out um and a billion euro in losses that's just that's crazy i had no idea it was i knew it was convoluted and there was extraordinary amounts of time required to deal with these asset handlings and who owns them and where they should go um but I never quite realized it was that obnoxious um, that four years, five years later, we could be paying the cost of just figuring out who owns what. And something like Liquid and Bitcoin, just these cryptographic systems in general, makes that problem, I, the, the revolution of having a tree, a Merkle tree, distributed across a federation of all of these companies where no single custodian is involved and they are all jointly signing and where any Lehman Brothers could be taken, could completely default and be taken out of the mix and none of the assets are even at risk except for ones that Lehman Brothers is essentially the issuing party for obviously because Lehman Brothers went bankrupt so if they had gold, if they told everybody they had gold coins and they didn't, well nobody's going to get their gold coins but the problem of ownership and sorting out where the assets go for anything outside of the Lehman Brothers direct custodial control it's just not even a, it's a non-issue the market continues completely unabated 
all the other functionaries aren't scrambling to figure out which assets they had with Lehman Brothers and uh, where should it go and who was trading it on their exchange for what other institution or broker dealer. Like there's all the convoluted messes dealt with a joint public blockchain where all the individual owners can simply prove it and anything and the, the the institutions themselves aren't even custodial so it's not even it's not even a problem unless the entire system goes down uh, so it's a huge huge shift in the dynamic of dealing with ownership and asset management that I, I really I really think even in a system that is federated and still has a degree of counterparty risk involved, I don't think people realize just how massive of an efficiency gain this thing is for institutions that choose to adopt it. And another cool thing is that it can, any new participants, anybody coming into the system, it basically allows new participants to audit the system. There's, the, there's still a constant audit going on, and it can help prevent uh, uncollateralized assets, uh, when, uh, particularly when claiming ownership of things. Uh, so everything is still verified and proven publicly through the signatures of the owners. It truly is a revolutionary shift in how financial assets are managed. Okay, um, let's see. What else do we hit? Uh, we hit that, we hit that. Uh, confidential transactions. Okay, so we, we've already really talked about this, but uh, confidential transactions blind the amounts of outputs um, to avoid uh, transaction size to any third parties. Um, and it's also possible to combine inputs and outputs. Um, so, uh, normal Bitcoin techniques like privacy techniques like CoinJoin and all the aggregation methods and stuff that work in Bitcoin can be applied to Liquid. So, um, it's, it's architecture is not so different that things that we build for Bitcoin won't work on Liquid. In fact, just the opposite. Um, they can all be combined and used. They're interoperable on both chains. Um, so that's really exciting. That means that wallets and uh, block explorers, all of these other things can be easily modified to work with Liquid, um, just with the uh, added details of, oh, we can't see certain transaction uh, details explicitly. We just see proofs in these confidential transactions. They also talk about the reason, like why it's important for confidential transactions to be the default. And... I mean, like, we talk about privacy up here a lot, so it might not be necessary to go into, but I'll just hit them really quick. Um, first, commercial usability. Um, companies just can't operate if their internal ledgers and uh, financial dealings are completely public. Um, private business relationships and trade secrets, secrets can easily be inferred from transactional records. Uh, so without CT, that becomes a huge problem, and the likelihood of adoption of this as an internal system to remove the problem of custodial control is just never going to happen. Um, so, and it's also, obviously, the other one is fungibility. Uh, liquid assets and liquid BTC need to be fungible so that 
there needs there cannot be a taint a history where we can decide oh well somebody used this in the past for drugs or whatever other thing that we decide is just unruly at this current time uh, therefore you have to prove where you got your coins um, which might not always be possible and destroys the value of one coin it destroys fungibility fungibility one coin will not necessarily equal another coin based on what somebody did with it last week and that's crap the currency will not work and uh no kind of financial system can be reliably built on a system like that so ct confidential transactions are absolutely necessary and privacy is completely critical to the operation of all of this there uh there's a problem with ct though um is that and I may be wrong about this, but when I was first learning about it, Greg Maxwell was saying in a, a conversation on Reddit that I think it was like average 10 times as much computation required um, to deal with a confidential transaction versus a normal transaction. Uh, so it comes at a, that privacy comes at technical debt um, or a technical cost, not debt, not the not too complicated, but just that it takes computational and uh, resources to verify it um, and because they're much longer they also take a little bit longer to verify uh, but the so maintaining the network is pretty resource intensive with exchanges and major businesses um, basically being the maintainers it's not a huge concern but uh, they actually explicitly note in the Strong Federation's white paper, and again, this is two years old, so now there's been tons and tons of work on Mimblewimble, but they mention it uh, as a scheme in which uh, full security can be achieved without any computational, um, uh, huge computational costs and with better scaling properties than even Bitcoin without confidential transactions. So uh, they said the benefits of fungibility fungibility and privacy are very apparent and they'll be researching Mimblewimble and how it might be usable or how a sidechain might be able might be made to uh, take advantage of that technology as it unfolds and now we've got Grin and that other Mimblewimble copy uh, uh, both very near to I think production release I think the they're like you know their beta software is going to be available soon so it'll be exciting to see what comes of all of that uh, as those things get uh, become a fruit, I guess you could say. <laughs> and let's see, what's the next thing? I'm going way too long here, so let me go ahead and just, I'm getting, we're getting close to the end. Um, so now they've got uh, native assets. Um, this is pretty simple. The issuer of the assets, that's the policy and the rules around what govern the asset um, and how they can be exchanged. Um, so, and in order to redeem it, obviously it's a centralized redemption. So let's say Bitfinex issues Tether on Liquid. It can be used with any of the exchanges and unless that exchange specifically is accepting Tether and giving you dollars, uh, to get the original asset, be it dollars, um, you have to redeem it with Bitfinex. That's not really changed. It's just, you're now able to issue assets on top of Liquid. Uh, there is one kind of cool thing about that, however, is that um, uh, you currently, with any of these systems, you can only trade one asset at a time. But the design of Liquid is actually different. You, you can use multiple assets 
in tandem for a transaction. So uh, let's say you're trading uh, uh, swirly doos. Alice is Alice is trading swirly doos, and Bob has thingamajigs. And um, so we've got asset A and B, swirly doo and thingamajig. Uh, if they want to, as long as they can get an out of band uh, pricing on those two assets, uh, Alice can actually sign a transaction for swirly doos to move from her input to another output with um, Bob's public key. And then Bob can, at the same time, sign uh, thingamajigs from his input to an output for Alice. And both of those, both the input of the swirly do and the thingamajig and the outputs of the swirly do and thingamajig can, be ha can occur in one transaction. So they both do their half sign and exchange, and then the transaction can happen where you're essentially, it's like barter on steroids. Is that rather than, okay, I've got swirly do's, I exchange it for dollars or, or Bitcoin, and then now I change my Bitcoin, exchange my Bitcoin for thingamajigs, is that all happens in one stage. We just find the price of thingamajigs and swirly do's in Bitcoin, and then we exchange the equal amount in a single transaction with a swirly do input and thingamajig input. So, <laughs> I have no idea if that came across, but hopefully, hopefully that got the point. Um, but I thought that was a really cool um, addition that that was not possible for to do multiple assets at the same time. And with the architecture of Liquid, you can do that. All right. They did, um, they had a section where they just went into um, why they chose a strict multi-signature agreement for their federated peg. Um, and they actually had a really good reason because um, they talked about like alternatives um, like Stellar and Tendermint where they have these kind of complicated trusted party uh, altcoin schemes that are untested and really different. They, they're kind of overly convoluted and they said there's a huge problem with that because most of them still suffer from trusted third parties somewhere in the arrangement, but because they're convoluted and untested, it's extremely hard to quantify the risk involved. So the multi, the basic multi-signature like functionary scheme that they've used in the Strong Federation makes it really, really easy to analyze attack scenarios. So any scenario that could unfold is easy to see and uh, easy to figure out what the risk involved in for, you know, like insurance and asset allocation purposes and this kind of thing. Uh, looks like I got a uh, another spam call in the middle of the day. Um, sorry about that. And let's see, key policy works to protect the network. So on and so forth. Another thing about block signers and watchmen. We kind of covered most of that that was important. Uh, so then we go down into the um, failure of the system. One really important aspect of the liquid sidechain and how it works is that all the functionaries, all the block signers, have a piece of dedicated hardware. Um, so everything is managed from a Trezor system. Well, excuse me, it's not a Trezor, obviously. It's an actual hardware designed for Liquid to maintain keys. But it is a, it sounds like from their um, uh, discussion that it is a Trezor-like hardware device. Um, and because of that, uh, the block signer's keys are actually 
they actually have a failsafe where they are immediately irreversibly revoked under certain conditions. So the the hardware is actually designed to delete its keys if it uh, under certain conditions where it knows it's compromised because it's so critical. Um, and I believe this would be a situation where Blockstream is explicitly the company that creates these hardware devices, um, but they don't create the keys. Obviously, the keys never actually leave the devices, which is really, really important because even with all the virtualizations and server setups, there cannot be a way for the company's um, network, internal network to be compromised and then they be able to start signing and making transactions on the liquid sidechain. Uh, because that runs into a huge problem immediately. I mean, obviously, we all know the risks involved there. So the fact that the keys are separated and never actually leave a hardware device is a critical component to this whole thing, and that's how all block signers' keys are handled. Um, however, Watchman's keys, because they are critical to getting the coins out of the sidechain and back to the parent chain, they must have backups. Where block signers' keys, we want to be able to revoke quickly under conditions of like like really adversarial conditions um the watchman keys we never want to lose they must be backed up and we must be able to always withdraw back to the main chain because in in a condition where all the watchman's keys are lost or compromised that is when you lose coins that is when the entire network becomes compromised and everyone is at risk and we have a huge problem and if our planned failsafe is not robust or not properly sorted out, well, then we've all got a huge problem. Um, but, uh, and then that was one thing, like I mentioned at the very beginning, that I wanted to, I want to read more about, but this paper was done so early and they did not go into the fail safe conditions very much. They had a basic um, statement or description of essentially a um, because it's a multi-signature agreement, a failsafe can easily be put in place, but exactly what that was, they did not detail or explore in this paper. Um, so that'll be something to hit just at a later date. Um, maybe when we find out what the failsafe is in the current Liquid Network, I don't know. I'll do a little bit of digging, though, and see if I can find it. All right, so I think we're here towards the end. Um, there's another couple little things on privacy and conclusions about uh, collusion, uh, basically everything that we've covered um, today uh, up to this point, um, and also that because all these multi-signatures and um, transaction types that work on blo uh, Bitcoin work in Liquid, we can have Lightning on top of Liquid. Uh, and that's the really, really cool use case where we can have high-frequency trading, cross-exchange, where you can have um, a complex smart contract and payment channel style agreements with fail safes within the liquid chain and you can do cross cross chain swaps so that you can spin lightning coins from liquid onto the bitcoin lightning network and to a uh, bitcoin address so that's uh, that's just really awesome to see like I, I was talking about it with my brother on the phone we were kind of digging into how many layers and levels of um, payment payment networks and lightning and side chains because you could have multiple different liquid side chains essentially being managed with different types of companies that are 
able to trust each other in these groups, um, issuing their own assets, and then you can uh, bridge these assets across uh, Lightning Network. Lightning Network can jump from one side chain to the next back to Bitcoin. Like the Lightning Network is just a protocol for anything with a blockchain. And as long as any node on the Lightning Network has payment channels on any side chain or any blockchain and Bitcoin, then it's all interoperable and immediate settlement and just the the level of stuff that can be built on top of this the possibilities are massive and it's super super exciting to see this particularly with um uh, secure asset management on these side chains and secure uh asset issuance now available for lightning with um what was it, rgb protocol for lightning uh, there's just so much going on now and as these things finally get adopted and financial institutions finally start to see and realize just how much better and uh, how the the degree of risk involved in using these systems as opposed to the legacy systems i think this whole thing is going to explode all right i think we are good here holy crap we are almost 53 minutes in um, this was a long one, but I really wanted to hit all the stuff about Liquid. I went through this whole white paper, and there's just so much cool stuff to talk about this. And because it changes so much, uh, I just think it's a really important thing to talk about. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and close this one here. Do not forget to check out Blockstream and stay up to date on what they are doing. Um, because Liquid is now live, it is production ready, and we are going to see tons of development and releases and all kinds of new stuff happening very soon. Um, and we will get to see in action uh, the, the advantages and better efficiency and lower costs that these things bring to the ecosystem uh, and the greater security and privacy for the customers and the exchanges. So this is going to be really, really big news and I cannot wait to see this stuff roll out and start to actually use it. If they are all on uh, uh, Twitter, I will make sure to tag John Dilley, Jonathan Wilkins, and Marta Pekarski. Um, I hope they are, uh, but I don't actually know. I mean, I think I know John Dilley is, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I'll be sure to tag everybody involved in this paper who is up there so that you can check them out see all the other stuff that they're doing follow blockstream follow everybody on twitter and uh link to this actual paper and the white paper um obviously in the show notes so check all of that stuff out there is a ton of stuff to dive into and there's going to be so so much more as we move forward do not forget to follow me on uh twitter mastodon and uh uh medium I am at the crypto economy on all three of those. Um, if you want to go to the exact instance that I'm on, I am at bitcoinhackers.org. Um, you can get there just through my Twitter profile link. And uh, if you would like to support the show, please feel free to donate. I will have a Bitcoin address available as always. And it is much, it is hugely, hugely appreciated to everyone who has done that. Thank you so much um, uh, helping me out with the show. And I definitely intend to have the Lightning Network, or excuse me, a Lightning Node up soon. Um, I'm so sorry about being delayed on that. I'm having hella problems with my Ubuntu machine. Um, and I think I am going to completely wipe the thing and put CentOS on it because I'm kind of fed up with Ubuntu right now. Uh, with that, um, 
anything else to hit. Oh, you can get your hardware wallet through my affiliate link. Always got that available to you. Um, I'm sure everybody has their hardware wallet already, but if you haven't, do not forget to use my link. It'll send a couple of bucks my way and doesn't cost you a dime uh, extra to get your treasure. Um, all right, that'll do it. I will catch you all back here on Monday. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about, but it's going to be some fun stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode all about liquid and strong federations. And I will catch you all back here on Monday with another episode of the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, guys. (laughs) 